This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. If you want to go on runs, especially in the playoffs, you have to have all four lines going, all four lines contributing, and that seems to be the case recently, so that's good. We've relied on almost the same systems and structure for a long time now, and we've had tweaks along the way, but I think more than anything, it's it's making sure the guys are, uh, they, they have good energy, they have kind of bringing passion to it, and not just, you know, the next game, but over the course of the season, and and uh, hopefully beyond. So it's 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 monitoring that and making sure that like when when they get to those big games that they they feel as if they're they're ready for them. They do feel like they are ready for them. I've got to think the Tampa Bay Lightning will be ready for this game tonight against the Buffalo Sabres and vice versa. A big moment I think for the Sabres franchise. I don't want to oversell it when we talk about the regular season because I think many of our listeners partner as Dave Mishkin is with me, along with Steve Ersnick, understand at least my hardline stance on regular season and postseason. And, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think over the last couple of years with what this Lightning team has accomplished, I think certain regular season games weigh more than others, for sure. I think that's human nature. Mm -hmm. I think for a team like the Buffalo Sabres, when every game probably means more because they haven't done anything recently or even long-term, this is probably one of those games marked on their calendar. The Tampa Bay Lightning have been one of the best teams, if not the very best team, the last three, four, five years. And Buffalo's trying to get there. Another good measuring stick. You know, typically we're talking about Buffalo early in the season and whether or not they're for real when they get off to a really good start. But so far, at least through 50-plus games, they are right in the middle of things. Well, look, this is an important game for the Sabres, not only because it's the Lightning, and maybe you're right, maybe they get up to to play top-level teams like the Lightning, but the Sabres are in a fight to make the playoffs. So all of their remaining games are important. They are starting a back-to-back, and I would make the argument, Greg, that as important as this game is, and it is important for the Sabres, their game against the Panthers tomorrow in the second half of a back-to-back is maybe more important because they have to catch the Panthers. They're four points back of Florida, but they have five games in hand. So look, the math seems to be in their favor (laughs) for sure, but you know what? They had six games in hand the other night, and then they got hammered by Toronto, 6-3. So this is a very, very important game coming up tomorrow for Buffalo. And I'm seeing Mike Harrington, who covers the Sabres for the Buffalo Morning News, is, and I was out watching their skate. Greg, I don't know their goalies well enough. They have three goalies. They have Craig Anderson, Eric Comrie, and Uko Pekka Lukanen. Lukanen has been the guy who's played the majority of the games. And according to Mike, it looks like Comrie is going to be in tonight. He played in that first game between the teams here at Amelie. The Sabres had a lead in that game in the third period. And the Lightning tied it and then won 5-3. So they are probably saving Lukanen for the game tomorrow. That would be my guess. May make sense. It's probably uh, sound reasoning on your part. And listen, when you talk about goaltending, I think it's one of those situations where that is one of the things, probably the biggest element of where the Sabres are in terms of also defending 
when you take a look at are they going to be able to sneak into the playoffs? Because I think some of the teams in front of them partner, when you start talking about the Eastern Conference and let's say the bottom two teams, at least when it comes to goaltending and defense, Mm -hmm. there are some areas of concern. You know, some feel maybe they're okay with their goals. Yeah, some may feel like it's okay with goaltending, but maybe defensively, they're just not there. So maybe that overexposes their goaltender. Some may just don't have, you know, that stout goaltender uh, to begin with. And, you know, you take a look at, at teams like Florida specifically, Pittsburgh, you know, maybe Detroit and Washington. They're all flawed teams. And you can throw the Islanders in there as well. They're playing a, a bit better of late. I mean, there is an opportunity there for Buffalo at the very least, Dave, especially with the games they have in hand. Yeah. To be able to make something up. I mean, Dave, they've played 55 games. The Islanders have played 61. I know. So they have six games in hand. I mean, that's incredible. On the Islanders. Well, the Lightning and Sabres are doing their makeup game a week from Saturday. So if not for that blizzard before Christmas, both the Lightning and Sabres would have one more game played to their total but even adding one game they would they still would have had a lot of games in hand on these other teams i'm i've been pretty consistent greg i've been bullish on the sabers i've said that on the show i like their team and that is kind of a contradiction for me because i feel that teams to have success in the playoffs for sure, but also in the regular season, it is about keeping the puck out of your own net. And the Sabres have been kind of a weird team in that the reason that I'm bullish on them, I really like a lot of their young players. And I think of the teams that are in this mix to get into the playoffs in the East, not talking about 1, 2, and 3 in the Atlantic, not talking about 1, 2, and 3 in the Metro, talking about all the other teams that are right around the playoff cut line. I think the Sabres are the most dynamic offensive team of all of those teams. But you can make the argument that they were the weakest defensive team. Whether that's goaltending, whether that's team defense, I'm not talking about the defense. Rasmus Dahlin is having a terrific year. Not just offensively, which he is. He has 60 points, second only to Eric Carlson. He's plus 21. He's their top-minute guy. He's among the highest time on ice per game guys in the entire league and at a team that has struggled defensively, he's plus 21. So I'm not saying it's the defense or a defense men, but as a team, they have not defended at a level that really is necessary to get into the playoffs, but I still am bullish on them. I love Dylan Cousins. This guy is going to be a top, top player in the NHL for a long time to come. They just extended him. They gave him a seven-year contract during the season. That tells you everything you need to know about what the Sabres think of Dylan Cousins. Tage Thompson's year has been well-documented. He actually has not even met his goal total from a year ago. I mean, he's on pace to shatter it, certainly. But it's not like he completely came out of left field, Greg. He had 38 goals last year. Alex Tuck has been a proven top-end player in the NHL for a number of years. And right behind Darlene, you have Owen Power, who's a number one overall pick. He's got 20 points this year. That's not shabby. He's plus 12. So 
they have some really good players. I think what has made their season a little confounding is, in addition to the fact that they haven't defended well enough and their penalty kill has been terrible, they're 30th out of 32 teams, which has really terrible. hurt them. It's terrible. It is a terrible penalty kill. But first of all, they've been extremely streaky. So they've strung together some stretches of, of games when they've gotten a lot of wins, but then they followed it up with games where they've gone like seven, eight, nine games with no points or one point, and that is just a killer. But it speaks out well they've done in their other segments that they're in the mix here. The other thing is, this is weird. Like, we've seen some teams like this, but I'm not sure any team is as pronounced as the Sabres. They are four games under 500 at home, not even including overtime losses. They are 11-15-2 at home, but they're 17-8-2 on the road. So usually when you have a team that is kind of struggling defensively, <laughs> they're not going to do that well on the road. But the Sabres have done well on the road. 17-8-2 on the road. Of course, the Lightning have done really well at home lately. That was another note Mike had. I knew about the Lightning, the 15-game home point streak, 14-0-1. The Sabres are 14-3-2, according to Mike, in their last 19 road games. So, like, do you want to look at the glass half full or glass half empty? If we're going to say the glass is half full and we're going to look at the Sabres and say they are a good team, if only they could have kept their losing streaks a little bit shorter and done a little bit better at home, they would probably be in a playoff spot. But if we're going to look at the glass half empty, we would say that with a home record like that, they have no business even being in the mix to make the playoffs. And a team that is 30th in the league on penalty kill and 25th in team defense has no business being in the hunt for a playoff spot. So they are a very unusual team. <laughs> I think that's the best way I can put it. But I remain bullish on them because I think they, they have game breakers. They do. And they have the schedule advantage. They have to make the most of it, but they have an opportunity with a strong finish to leapfrog some teams because of the games they have in hand. So you bring up a good point because I think this is where you kind of separate regular season to postseason. And Dave, I understand. We we don't even know if they're going to make the postseason. So in essence, I'm jumping to a conclusion here. But some of those other statistics that metrically can give you an idea of how poorly or how good they are in certain areas would suggest to me while they do have game breakers and I am a big believer in having those players particularly come playoff time because I, I we've dedicated many shows talking about the Lightning versus the Islanders and the difference there the Lightning had some game breakers not mm -hmm. to mention other things but it's one of the reasons why I like them a great deal when you go against a team that's limited like that offensively that's a big deal for Buffalo but you also need to defend if there's anything the Lightning have learned over the last three years in their cup runs, you've got to be able to defend. In clearly, the you need to, in the playoffs, yeah. and clearly, you need to have the goaltending. But it's not like the Lightning made a huge jump defensively the last three years from the regular season to postseason. I mean, there, there, I'm sure there were some differences, goals against, you know, goals allowed. I, I get that. What I'm saying is, it would be a pretty big jump. If you went from, where are they, goals allowed in the National Hockey League? 25th. So if you go from 25th, and understanding there aren't as many teams, so take that with a grain of salt, but the equivalent of that would be if you go from 25th to 5th 
in the playoffs in in defense. Yeah. I think that might be a bigger ask, and I think that's where warts are going to be exposed a bit more, assuming they do get in. That doesn't mean they can't, because we, we've de- dedicated shows. The regular season is a different animal. Not every team is going to be buttoned up defensively. You're not going to be getting every team at its best. The intensity is not going to be the same because it's the regular season. There is the grind of an 82-game season. There are tangible effects that come with that, one of which is some teams are going to be ready to play on a given night. Some aren't, Dave. And I think there's room there. All the reasons you gave about the game breakers, the games in hand, maybe it's just this is the year. Sometimes that mojo matches up with you and and you're able to sneak in. I I think there is opportunity there more so than in the last few years for them to actually get in. I think if they do get in, Dave, I think that's when you get exposed for not being buttoned up in certain areas that require you to be buttoned up. But wouldn't you agree that if the Sabres get in, that would be a huge accomplishment for this team? I mean, we entered this regular season looking at some teams in the East and wondering if they would take a step forward this year. And some teams we wondered about. Some teams, I think the perception, not we, but I think the perception league-wide was they were going to take a step forward this year. I think Detroit was a team a lot of people expected would take a big step forward this year. They may get in. They're in this mix, and they're playing well right now. Lightning are going to see them Saturday in Detroit in their next game. But I'm not sure that, like, the odds makers would say that the Red Wings have an inside track to get in. And I would probably make the argument that they haven't been – they've been better, but they haven't been as better as people thought they were going to be (laughs) at the start of the year. What has been the one team in this mix of teams where we're saying – yeah, they're going to take a step forward this year or they might take a step forward this year, which has been the one team to kind of blow the doors off of the expectations from that group. It's been the New Jersey Devils. They were a team a lot of people thought maybe they'll be a little bit better this year. They have some good young players. They've they've made some good ads at, during the offseason like Andre Palat. Like they have, they have far exceeded that in terms of the expectations. These other teams haven't. But I think Buffalo was one of the teams we were wondering, would they be able to take a step forward this year from where they've been? They have. But I'm not sure many people thought they would get into the playoffs this year. And they have an opportunity to do just that. So even if they do go out in the first round because they have some systemic problems with their team that they're going to need to tighten up, essentially, moving forward, this would be a huge accomplishment for this franchise to get into the playoffs. I guess the question is, in the last third of the regular season, how important is team defense? How important is penalty killing? It's less important in the regular season than in the playoffs, but it's still important in the regular season, which is why we always look at the top 16 defensive teams and say how many of them are in playoff position, and usually it's nearly all of them, right? For sure. I mean, how are the Islanders doing it? The Islanders are like the opposite of Buffalo. They tend not to score a lot, although I think getting Horvat helped, certainly. But they do it with team defense, goaltending, winning games 2-1. to one. They just won a game 2-1 to one. last night. They beat Winnipeg. Yep. They do it in a way different way. And what we've seen is when they get into the playoffs, they are a handful. 
Because they you know can what's interesting? You know what's interesting? You're, you bring up some really good points here because would you rather have a team who is set offensively, Dave, but then maybe needs to learn how to play defense than a team who's hard to play against but doesn't have the game breakers? Well, it's harder. You can't coach game breaking, right? Is that the right way of putting it? Yes. Like a game breaker is is blessed to be that talented. And I think players can evolve into game breakers maybe with experience or confidence or coaching. But I think generally speaking, defending well is about coaching. I would agree with and you. And I'm not I'm not trying to cut down Don Granado, who's done a great job with their team this year for them to take a step forward. But I think that it is more easily correctable. That's probably the way I would put it. The def- the defending side of it, as opposed yep. to we need guys to make plays. Some of that is coaching, though, too. Like, you let the horses out of the barn a little bit. Lightning you went do. in the other direction after 2019. But you need, you know, coaches are... Coaches can ruin things. And that's that's one of... You know, we talk about coaches making a difference. This is where I think John Cooper comes in, too. I think his ability to allow his game-breakers, Dave, to be game-breakers... But I think also once they got the personnel to complement the game breakers, the the leadership group, and I'll include Coop in this as well, but the leadership groups, the messaging was such where they understood they had to be better defensively. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care who you give that credit to, but that was a scenario where you've got the high-end skill whether it was the coach, whether it was the players buying into the coach's message defensively, or whether it was the general manager bringing in the appropriate players who would perform that task, probably a combination of all three. That's a recipe for great success. I agree with you. My take is I don't think you can teach game breakers. You either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you can't go from a 10-goal score to a 20. I'm talking about you know, one of the knocks, again, I keep going on in the Islanders, and I'm just waiting for Lou Lamarillo if he ever wants to chime in to <laughs> probably call the show and say, the hell are you talking about lack of game breakers? You're hammering <laughs> me, and I get that. I appreciate that about Lou. What I'm saying is, though, the Lightning have five or six guys. I'm probably being conservative right now, but let's just say five or six guys who on any given shift can probably go end-to-end or they have the puck on their stick, they get it off quickly and and can score. I think that's a lot harder to teach and do it effectively than it is saying to your 12 guys up front and your six defensemen, to a lesser extent, your goaltender, they understand what they have to do. Guys, we need to lock it down. So if that means you get the puck at center ice, you got to dump it in. It's not a great brand of hockey probably to watch, Dave, but as we've seen in the playoffs, the stakes are so high it lends itself to great theater, and I don't, I don't know if anybody really cares, but give me the game breakers first, then I can figure out what we want to do defensively because I think you can teach somebody to play defense. Well, look, from that standpoint, the Sabres should have game breakers because they have had so many first-round picks over the years. And some of them are their picks. Some of them are first-round picks from other teams that they have subsequently acquired. Listen to this, Greg. I was looking at their roster earlier today. So the three goalies, none of the three 
was a number one pick, although Lukanen was a second round pick. So here is their roster as it stands today. So how many guys do they have? Two, four, six, eight, ten, live radio folks, 12, 14, 16, 18. So they have 20 skaters listed, not the goalies. So you count for me, okay? Henry Yokiharu, first-round pick, Chicago. That's one. Tyson Jost, first-round pick, Colorado. Peyton Krebs, first-round pick, Vegas. Kyle Oposo, going back a few years, first-round pick. Jack Quinn, first-round pick. Matias of Buffalo. Matias Samuelson, first-round pick. So how many guys have I mentioned? Six. They're all first-round picks. Dylan Cousins, first-round pick. Seven. Owen Power, Darlene. Not only first-round picks, first overall first-round picks. Giergensen's first-round pick, Buffalo. Middlestad, first-round pick, Buffalo. Kale Clegg is injured. Ilya Labushkin was not a first-round pick. Jeff Skinner was a first-round pick. Olofsson was not a first-round pick. Tage Thompson was a first-round pick of St. Louis. And of the other guys, Alex Tuck was a first-round pick. I think I, I missed five guys, if I'm remembering right. means 15 of their 20 skaters on their roster were taken in the first round. You should have game breakers. I guess you might say, why are they where they are in the standings? Why are they not near the top of the standings when you have that many first-round picks? And I understand, Kyle Post has been in the league a long time, but look, at some point, he was taken in the first round. Right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's mind-boggling, isn't it? It is. I mean, the Lightning, look at their roster. You got Vassy, You got Stamkos. You got Hedman. You got Sergachev. You've got Foote and Nemetsnikov. Is there anybody else? Ian Cole was a first-round pick. Bogosian was a first-round pick. All right, so I guess it, it, it kind of gets inflated a little bit there. Was Perry a first-round pick? Mm, I think so. <laughs> That's easy for me to look up. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. But, I, I mean, we're talking half. Yeah. He was a late first-round pick. But he counts. The Lightning, by comparison, have done – the Lightning have found game-breakers out of the first round. And the Sabres, while they have some game-breakers – some they've drafted, some they've acquired. And look, Tuck and Thompson are game breakers, in my opinion, or very, very good players at the very least. And they didn't pick those players, but they acquired those players and they paid a premium to acquire those players. Thompson came over in the Ryan O'Reilly trade and Tuck came over in the Eichel trade. But they have not done as well in their later round picks other than Olafson, who was the seventh round pick. And a number of their first-round picks or picks that they acquired, like players they acquired who were taken in the first round, do not fall into the category of game-breaker. But they have some. Maybe they should have more. It's a good point. It's a good point. It just I goes mean, to show how, how uh, like they try and do the best they can, but it's not a science drafting. No, it's not. It's not. And that's why it's been pretty remarkable to see what the Lightning have been able to accomplish in the mid to late rounds 
because you're getting a nice mixture of guys who can fill the net but also play a gritty style. And let's face it, too. Dave, part of all of this is having somebody fill in the pieces where your organization comes up short. So if you need some depth, if you need one year to go out and get Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, you can do that. It's not going to happen every day. But what's the one thing that's remained constant for Tampa Bay? It's been the elite players and it's been the goaltending. And you can put Vassy in that elite category. But yes. I'm saying I'm saying they've got the goaltender. They like the Lightning have a lot of things that other teams are just trying to figure out and trying to hit on. You know, what are you going to get if you draft a goaltender in the first round? like the Lightning were able to, to pull off and bring in Andre Vasilevsky. But the mm-hmm. Lightning have been blessed over the last 10 years, Dave, to have elite goaltending. Yes, they have. I mean, you think about it. Whether they developed it or whether they traded for it, the Lightning, and this is why we've had conversations about the scouting department, it's, it's nice to sit here and say Ottawa, Buffalo, I don't know what the Red Wing system is, but I think it's pretty high, to stockpile prospects and gloat about that and say, we're going to be good. We're going to be competitive. These guys, all they get to the NHL, we're going to be good. Yeah. But partner, you and I know that doesn't always happen. You know, well, for every uh, every elite prospect you have, you may have three or four that maybe don't quite get to that level. We were talking about this with Anaheim. I think you brought up a good point with, with Espo. Anaheim, you know, probably thought they were going to be better this year than what their record indicated. Why is that? A lot of reasons but probably some of the, the higher-end draft picks or prospects, they're NHLers, but they're not elite. Yeah. And I think that that can be a problem. The Lightning don't have that problem. They don't have to worry about that. And, and is a player elite at birth? That's kind of what we're, we're getting at. Like, is this God-given ability the reason that they are elite, or is it a combination of they have the ability but also the development? And that would Correct. say that, you know, coaching can help. Coaching can help a player evolve and, and reach a new level. And maybe Tage Thompson is an example of that. He's a big guy, and maybe he just needed to age a little bit and kind of, I don't want to say grow into his body because he's always been a bigger guy, but, like, it's all kind of come together for him, and it didn't happen maybe three years ago, but now it has. But, you know, such a big part of why the Lightning have been able to do as well as they have with their their cast of, of players, the development part of it. And, you know, Rasmus Dahlin is a great example. This is really his breakout year. But how many years has he been in the league? And as a first overall pick on defense, which is a very hard position, and Eichel was kind of in the same boat in that he was a second overall pick, different position, and he did score. But both those guys were playing on bad Buffalo teams. And it's hard to kind of have your game grow, harder to have your game grow, when the team you're on is losing way more than it's winning. Darlene came into the league in 2018. This is his fifth year. Certainly those first three years were very ugly for him. The team he was on and and kind of what he was asked to do, well, now the team is better. And look at how he's taking off. But his development 
maybe was affected by the fact that he was in a very tough situation. The Lightning yeah. bring their players in, at least as we're speaking now in this in this era, as you call it, the golden age of Lightning hockey. You know, players come into a very positive environment. It's a good point. People want to react to that? They can. At Bolts Radio. What are you anticipating tonight? I, I, you know, I was asking myself that question today as I was talking to myself. Yeah. And uh, that always is a pretty scary thing. But I, I've got to think there is some truth to the we may not be great defensively yet, but we do know the team we're playing against is one of the best. So because of that urgency, are we, should we anticipate Buffalo being a bit better in that department tonight? I don't know what the Lightning are going to bring. My sense mm-hmm. is the Lightning are going to be ready to go. But is there a little bit of the opponent we're playing can force us to be a bit better defensively thing going on. And could we see that happen? You're talking about for Buffalo? For Buffalo, correct. For Buffalo. Well, let's let's look at this from the Lightning's perspective. You and I had a couple of conversations because we had a couple of shows to fill, I think, before the Lightning saw the Panthers coming out of the All-Star break. And I think you were under the impression, and I didn't disagree with you, that the rivalry between the teams – and the fact that the Panthers were going to be hungry would help the Lightning elevate their game because they had way less at stake than the Panthers going into that game in Sunrise right after the All-Star break. And the Lightning got blown out. They did not meet the level that the Panthers threw out on the ice. I'm not saying that's going to happen tonight, but the Lightning are going to be seeing in their next six games basically a carbon copy of what they're going to be seeing tonight. And they play the Sabres twice. They play the Penguins twice. They also play the Panthers, and they play the Red Wings. They're going to be seeing opponents with high desperation and high urgency, way different than what they saw on Tuesday against Anaheim, where they once they kind of established control, the Ducks did not have much pushback at all, which you would expect for you know, that situation, a team that's out of it. The Sabres are going to fight, scratch, and claw to the last minute of the game, whether they're up, down, or tied. We saw that in their game against Toronto. I mean, they were down 5 nothing going into the third, and I don't know how close really it got, but they did make it 5-3 before the Leafs scored an empty netter. So that's what I would expect to see from Buffalo, and I think the question for the Lightning is, how are they going to manage that? Because the Lightning are not in a situation where they need to be desperate. And it's hard to manufacture desperation and urgency. But they're going to need to do it, not just tonight, but moving forward here. You don't often see six straight games against teams that are basically in the same boat. But that's what the Lightning have on the schedule. They do. And it's something that they're going to have to deal with. And it's going to be something that I'll be curious to see how the Sabres are able to handle some of the expectations that rise. Because I think you and I would agree on this too, partner. The closer you get to that finish line and the closer you are to a playoff spot, how you react in those uncomfortable situations also can go a long way Yeah. in determining where you are. Because all of a sudden, you see that finish line. You'll say you're 10 games out. 
and uh, a situation where those 10 games mean a lot more than the first 10 games of the year. I think that's that's a fact, too. And I don't want to say it's quite like playoffs, but it's it's a little bit more than a regular season game from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And how you deal with those pressures, I also think, is something the Lightning don't have to worry about either because we've had this conversation before. They're a proven team, but they also understand, you know, if we finish third in our division or if we finish eighth in the conference, for us it's about getting in. Buffalo doesn't have that luxury because they don't get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a track record right. of performing at a high level when the stakes are at their highest. And a lot of this is the unknown, which is why, I, I don't know, you know, do they do something at the trade deadline? I mean, you probably can say that for every team. Are you going to do something at the trade deadline? Perhaps. But what do you need? Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you have cap space, you're probably addressing your bottom six or a spare defenseman. You know, you can only throw Luke Shen's name out there so many times. He can't go everywhere right. to play. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Like, if the Sabres are looking at things, remember what I was saying about the Lightning post-All-Star break. It's like, I want to see their defensive numbers improve. I want to see their penalty kill numbers improve. Now, they were kind of more middle of the pack, and I wanted to see them get into the top third. They're actually entering this game tied for ninth in penalty killing. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it, but they've had a nice little run here on on penalty kill, so their percentage has gone up, and their goals against has come down. And they had the one game against Vegas. Other than that, it's been two or less fairly consistently during the stretch, with the one exception being the at Colorado, where they gave up three. But every other game, it's been two or less. And, you know, there was a couple of shutouts in there, even the Elliott shutout on Arizona or in Arizona. They had the one goal allowed against the Ducks the other night. All that's good. I would say the same for the Sabres, but I'm not sure how you crack that nut when you're 25th in the league in team defense and 30th on penalty kill. I mean, you can improve, but those seem to be more systemic problems, and I'm not sure that like acquiring a player at the deadline isn't going to really help, I don't think. Maybe it'll help on the margins. But that has to be more of a team-wide thing, I would think. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Let's get some questions. You want to get some questions? Or yeah. Do want to hit yeah. on anything else here? Apple's well, I mean, we didn't spend to, a ton of time on the Lightning. I will tell you, there was tell one me. Lightning player out late today, Cal Foot with Elliott. So I don't know what that means for Hayden Flurry. Could the Lightning go 11-7 and seven tonight? And if so, who's the forward out? Would we say, I don't I mean, know. From that conclusion, and I'm putting you on the spot, so I apologize, but I like doing that, partner, and you can do the same thing to me. Would we conclude that maybe somebody's a little banged up, or would that be more about getting another defenseman in the lineup? Well, maybe a little bit of both, yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's not like Flurry has gone weeks without playing. He played it in the Arizona game. It feels like he's game. gone weeks, though, right? Well, he played <laughs> in the Arizona like, yeah, game. He did. He did. And, and Foot played recently. So, I mean, they are getting in a little bit more. I mean, Chernak was out for a few games, which was one reason for that, maybe the main reason. But if you were to put me on the spot, I would say somebody's banged up or questionable. Right. So, Foot played the game in Vegas, and Flurry played the game before that in Arizona. Neither one played against Anaheim. Yeah. But we'll find out tonight. 
it was an optional skate, and I'm trying to think of the guys who were out there. So Belmar was out there, Nemenstikov was out there, Colton was out there. I mean, if you're thinking who might come out in the bottom six, those three guys were skating. I didn't see Maroon or Perry or Paul, for that matter. So we'll find out at game time. Nobody asked Coop about it. Yeah. It's just, so why was Fleury not out late? That's kind of the question. He was he was involved in the optional skate, but Foot was the only one who stayed out late for extra work. So we'll see. Good point. But we can get to questions. Let's get to some questions here. Where's Basil? This is a genuine question today. My son and I are driving to Pittsburgh for Sunday's game. Does Elliot start that game, or does he start against the Red Wings Saturday night? Uh, let me guess. I would say Vassy. Well, see, that's an interesting question because if you believe, if you believe that Detroit is a team that, you know, does that game mean a bit more because they're in your division? I would, you know, I would call snipping? that, I would call that a push. This is not like Colorado, Arizona back to back, nor is it. I'm trying to think of a back to back where Elliott got the first game. Chicago, Minnesota. Elliott played both, but Vassy was supposed to play the Minnesota game. When there is a huge disparity in the standings between the two teams, Vassy gets usually the tougher opponent. If it's a wash, more often than not, Vassy gets the first game. So again, Basil, without committing to this, I would lean, I would lean toward Elliott getting the Sunday game. But you're saying Detroit's in the division, Pittsburgh's not. I mean, maybe that's part of it, too. But I don't know if I that, know. you know, to be honest, I don't know if that means yeah. a heck of a lot. I mean, would you would you save, typically, would would coaches save their number one goaltender for a divisional game? Probably, right? I mean, Elliot, go got the, Elliot got the Pittsburgh game at the start of the year that was a back-to-back. The Lightning are playing both games in Pittsburgh, second half of a back-to-back against a rested Penguins team. And the first half of the back-to-back was at Columbus, which Columbus, it was their second game of the year. So, I mean, we didn't know where they would be at that point, but Vassy played opening night against the Rangers. Vassy got game two in Columbus. Elliott played game three in Pittsburgh. Now we have way more, like, runway behind us. (laughs) And if it were Columbus-Pittsburgh again, maybe Elliott gets the first game against Columbus based on track record. But in this situation, you have two teams that, to me, are kind of in the same boat, battling for wild card spot. So then you kind of go to who tends to play the first game when it's a wash. And maybe they go to Vassy and say, what do you want to do? He'd want to play every game, wouldn't he? Well, right, but if they gave him the option, do you want to play the first game or the second game? Yes. That's not an easy back-to-back. We kind of touched on that yesterday. 8 o'clock face-off in Detroit for some reason. 6 o'clock face-off in Pittsburgh. Good point. Yeah. Al says, could you clarify what happens after the trade deadline as far as roster size, call-ups, and waivers? Roster size can be expanded as much as you want. But you have to stay within the cap. You are allowed four recalls that are not emergency from the end of the trade deadline through the end of the regular season. What was the third part? 
Roster size, call-ups, waivers? I think so waivers, a player that is waiver eligible would still be waiver eligible. But if he is claimed, I believe, about 95% certain on this, I believe the player is ineligible to play in the playoffs for the team that claimed him. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, we appreciate that question, yeah. Al. The roster you know, size getting confusing. expanded is a nice added benefit, but but the way the cap has been, you know, most teams can't really add players to their roster because they don't have the cap space. They don't. If you had the cap space, you could add three players at the deadline and not have to delete anyone. And you could carry a roster of 26 if you wanted, but very few teams can can do that because they don't have the wriggle room. It is interesting when you talk about how many guys, and I'm talking about more of your game day situation, where if you run into a, a spot where you've got a couple of players down, you know, let's say your defense score, you've only got four healthy defensemen, and you're dealing with two injuries that, there's, there's like, you know, they have an emergency goaltender that can come in, and that, yeah. to me, that seems just ridiculous. I'm a little surprised that the NHL, particularly, you know, when we talk about player safety, and I think I brought this up, partner, a couple of years ago when the the bubble was was happening, and teams were being in some ways penalized because they couldn't call up a player or insert a player into the lineup because they were up against the cap, and there was some shuffling going around. And my point was. You know, it's not the the teams or the organizations' faults that the that the league chose to pause and the revenues weren't where it needed to be, and hence they were being penalized mm-hmm. when it came to the roster for something that they didn't create. I'm a little surprised post COVID that the NHL hasn't adopted some sort of taxi squad, even well, if they it's did a couple for of a players. Year. Well, for a year, but I'm I'm talking about permanently. Because it's a physical sport, we understand. Teams are up against the cap, and and some of that is through no fault of their own over the last couple of years. But don't you think it seems a little ridiculous that you can basically have what you would probably call a beer league third-string goaltender potentially suit up and play in an NHL game, but yet if you had devastating injuries or an illness go through the locker room, that you don't have at least an AHL-ready defenseman who could come in if something happened during that time? And I'm not saying you have to expand it to 10 te- or ten players. I'm just saying, I don't know. Um, I know those are unique circumstances, but the league has kind of changed the last couple of years, and I feel like there's no, there's no harm... And having a spare part or two. I mean, I know there are scratches that, you know, why couldn't you allow a player to come down if something really significant happened to your roster? Now, some would say, well, that's just how it goes. You got to play with four defensemen, you play with four defensemen. Mm -hmm. Or you're down to 10 forwards, you're down to 10 forwards. But, you know, I don't know. Are you suggesting that, like, the day of a game, something happened, you should be able to add a reinforcement or within a game? I think within a game, actually, I'm 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 kind of okay with that, you know. And and maybe there are some guidelines to that. Maybe we, you know, I'm getting into the weeds here. I'm, yeah. Just an emergency call up. So here here is the other side of the coin to that. First of all, when we had the taxi squad in the 2021 season, 
you still had to be cap compliant. So a player on the taxi squad technically was not on the NHL roster. So really the only reason for the taxi squad was to, and I'm going to use the word circumvent, which is not the right word, fast track protocol clearance relating to COVID. Because a player on the taxi squad was kind of within the team bubble. So if you needed to add that player at a moment's notice, there was no issue with testing or anything like that. You could just add him. But there was proximity. The player was basically with the NHL team and could just come right in. But then that player was moved onto the NHL roster with all the cap implications. So now that we're not having the issue with the protocols and the testing and all of that, then it becomes a question of, well, why do we need a taxi squad? So most teams can get reinforcements in within a day with travel, right? Like, And some teams have their minor league team in the very same market. But even those that don't, if you have an injury the day before, you can usually get a player in for the next day. So your point is, what if it's less than a day? Like, what if it's that day or even within a game? and you want to add somebody from this quote-unquote taxi squad, like, from a from a, from the standpoint of, like, integrity, I don't have a problem with it. The problem is that what does that mean for the player on the taxi squad? Is this player just, like, in limbo until he's needed? Wouldn't that player rather be playing at the AHL level? Like, this e-bug replacement, the third-string goalie, if it's a legitimate goalie, if it's an AHL quality goalie, I don't think that player is going to be too happy about sitting around and practicing and, and not getting into any games, right? So I'm not sure. I think the, the pushback would be more from the player side, honestly, than the team or the league side. Players want to play. Players that had to spend the whole year on the taxi squad did not have a very fun time of it, I think, in 2021. We'd have to ask someone plus they didn't even get nhl money you know they were getting their minor league contract salary so that's where i see kind of a roadblock there in terms of how you would make it work logistically and i don't have an answer for you but i'm not opposed to the idea of finding some other solution so you didn't have like some beer league goaltender come into a game well don't, if, I mean, if don't the you two think roster makes... goalies get hurt and I understand it's a story and everybody loves it, but I mean, there are a lot of people, I'm probably in that camp, that would say, really? Well, where are you going to find the third goalie then? Well, that, what that's, is that goalie's role? So you, and, if, and this is what it would have to be ironed out. It, it's almost like having some sort of taxi squad where maybe that player, maybe that goaltender is in between what an AHL goaltender would be and what a beer league goaltender would be. And, you know, maybe it's it's the third string goaltender or maybe it's the fourth or fifth string goaltender in your organization. And maybe you take rotations and having, you're probably digging into your ECHL organization if you have one. Or maybe it's, if they even have one, a third goaltender potentially down in the AHL. Or maybe it's something, that it's a goaltender that's given to you. And mm-hmm. we're, we're singling out goaltenders but maybe there's you know some sort of draft that each nhl team when they go to each market it's not necessarily and i'm saying beer league and i apologize for those who've performed beyond that when they've been given a shot to play in the nhl 
but maybe there's somebody who maybe isn't that far removed from playing professionally, and maybe maybe you can meet me halfway there. Something to that extent. And I think with the players, whether it's on the back end or whether it's the forward position, you have guys who are scratched. And does it does it make a little more sense to have those guys maybe available if something comes up in game? And and that would I, that actually does make sense. So I just said you know Cal Foot was out late. If the Lightning have a defense men get hurt tonight would they be able to just add Cal Foot basically <laughs> you know like he would have to warm up and everything else but should that be an option as opposed right. to a team having to go let's say two defensemen get hurt and you're down to four defensemen maybe if you've scratched one you can get back to five I don't know that's way beyond my pay grade Greg <laughs> so, no I know and I I don't know how we got down that rabbit hole well but you it was... don't like the e-bug I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't even know how we got on that. It might have just been talking about various circumstances when it comes to who's out and who's not, having guys sit and being caught in well, a situation. Well, it was about the, the cap. Al's que- was it Al who go. had the question about post deadline? Yeah. And how many recalls you have? And I think you were just mystified that this is a thing. That this is a thing where, you know, a. Th- 39-year-old, pot-bellied, you know, weekend goaltender is, like, thrust into action, right, (laughs) to try and help a team get a win that's battling for a playoff berth. How is that a thing? And it is a thing. We just don't see it very often, but... Nothing against pot-bellies if you're a goaltender, you know? No. I mean, you take up more of the net. How much do those guys get paid for one game? Somebody said they don't, (laughs) which is mind-boggling to me, you know? They should get something. Maybe maybe the players chip in. We don't hear about it. Maybe. Sometimes that usually happens. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. I feel like I saw a Rudy Balser's question. Yeah, we took that yesterday. I feel like we (laughs) – I I see that like every couple of days. Rudy Balser's at some point is going to have a statue yeah. here in Tampa next to Phil Esposito. Who was that but, guy that was on the waiver wire so much? I don't know. It was probably like eight or nine years ago. Remember that guy, Steve? Eric Erlinson had fun with him. And I'm drawing a blank. Wire. He was with the Lightning? Yeah, obviously. and they kept putting him on waivers. He was bouncing around. He was up and down. <laughs> he never played. He was always getting called up he and never sent down. never played. I, I think I've even looked. Does up your their salary roster. change every time you get called up? Well, it depends if you're even on if a you one play. way, if you're on a one way or a two way. But if you're if called you're up, two yeah, way. yeah. If you're on a two way, you get the NHL money when you're called up. Even if you're... you get the NHL money, okay. Get that money. Somebody text Eric Erlinson and ask him who that that player was. He would love that, wouldn't he? He would. He gets feisty on social media doesn't he well this he wasn't feisty about this i think he was no, just no, bemused no. he was bemused not no, but he, he was bemused that but he guy, does love it the though. guy kept getting sent down he, he does he, love he it, can though. get feisty yeah. yeah i stay away from all of that anybody who ever asked me a question on twitter don't be offended that i don't respond to you i just i don't even like dip my toe in yeah. the pool on that and other broadcasters feel differently. Other broadcasters are very engaging and engaged on social media. You know who does a lot of engagement on social media? 
Tell Dave me. Wills with the Rays. Does he really? Yeah. I'm. I mean, Steve, you might know this, but like. He's engaging with people, I think, during games sometimes. I'm like, I don't know how he does that, but more power to him. But that's not for me. Interesting. Steve nodded, by the way. I always feel like uh, it's good, but you have to, I think you have to be disciplined when you're on social media. Yeah. Because I think more harm can come than more good. You know, because if you take something out of context, which so often people on social media are looking to capitalize on your mistake. Something like that could go viral. And, you know, now you're in trouble. Yeah. And then you got to explain it to people. You know, then apologies are are in order. Uh, it's just, I think you have to be a little measured. That's why we have a talk show. We can be a little more open about it, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit here and go on social media and and just type away. Look, plenty of people have said things that they regret and they end up putting their foot in their mouth. But generally, when somebody says something, unless it's like the clip is a portion of the clip is all that's used. Usually when you're saying something, it is within context of a point that you are trying to make. I think some of the context sometimes gets lost when you're looking at a digital statement and I'm talking about even texting like you you lose some of the nuance that you would get if somebody if you could hear somebody say something that's what that's what I'm getting at and I think that's one reason one of many reasons why sometimes people get into trouble when they right. when they tweet or they text or whatever it is because the words are there in black and white, but sometimes the the nuance is missed, and that's just the nature of the medium, I guess. Sometimes the nuance isn't missed, but you know what I'm saying? I do. There's a big difference between texting somebody and speaking to somebody. That's kind of what agree. I'm. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I would agree. Makes a lot of sense. All right, it's going to make a lot of sense for us to bounce. We've yes. got the game tonight starting at 6, pregame skate show. E and Chief. You know, we Chief didn't even back. get to it, yeah, Greg, Greg. And I didn't see him this morning as I was in another part of the building. But Phil Esposito did the whole media tour Love today that. for his induction into the Lightning Hall of Fame. We'll have to give him a big old hug today. Coop was asked, you know, advice that you've heard from Phil, something like that. And he said, Shoot well, the th- this advice... Did this advice come at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.? He said those are two different conversations. <laughs> ah, that's a great line. <laughs> that is a great line. I love it. And it's so true. <laughs> is it, though? Uh, I think Phil would probably say... The same thing? Yeah. A few more Maybe at words. 10 p.m. he feels... he feels When he's talking to Coop. If he's talking to you yeah. or to me, he would say the same thing. I think at 10 a.m. Yeah. or 10 p.m. I love it. Congrats. To that him. was that was a great line, though. It was. 6 o'clock pregame skate show network pregame 630. And the game call at 7 with Dave Michigan and the Hall of Famer Phil Esposito. And then we have the last call presented by Jack Daniels afterwards. And then we're right back at it again tomorrow, noon to 1. Yes, pre-tape tomorrow, folks. Pre-tape so if tomorrow. you have any questions for us, get them in early. Yeah. Because we're flying to Detroit tomorrow. Travel day, baby. Travel, yeah, travel day. day. All right. Partner, I'll see you in a little bit. All right. Thank you, see you in a few. All right. Dave Michigan there. Steve Ersnick on the other side. I'm Greg Lanelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lending Radio.